0: You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on this Monday, November the 22nd, in the house with your boy Trey Larkas from Wise Guys Sports. Everybody, remember going to go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter. At wise guys underscore H also on Facebook wise guys and be sure to follow wise guys on Instagram if these guys know sports happy Monday how was everyone's weekend I had a great weekend it was a great weekend of football obviously on Saturday night Bearcats got the win over SMU they remained undefeated on the season in a dominating performance at Nipper Stadium. So I'm happy for my Bearcats. Hopefully they can creep up into that top four college football rankings because Oregon did lose on Saturday night to Utah. Also on Sunday, it was a great week 11 in the NFL. We had the Bengals beating the Las Vegas Raiders in Las Vegas. Also Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. They got it done against Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. So the Chiefs have won four straight. They are playing some great football right now. They've undefeated so far in the month of November. So I'm going to talk about that game here in a bit. Also, don't forget, joining Wise Guys this Wednesday, November the 24th at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time is going to be Lakers Nation senior writer and podcast host of Lakers Nation and NBA front office show trevor lane so trevor lane will be joining yours truly on wise guys sports on the world Wide sports network on wednesday november the 24th that's at 10 30 a.m eastern time lakers nation senior writer and podcast host trevor lane i can't wait to talk to him about the drama that took place in detroit last night between the lakers and the pistons lakers will play The Knicks tomorrow night at Madison Square Garden in New York. LeBron will be suspended for that game as the NBA did announce that LeBron will be suspended for one game. And um, Isaiah Stewart got suspended for two games. But I'll talk about that here in a bit as well. But we're going to start off in the NFL today as the Minnesota Vikings beat the Green Bay Packers 34 to 31. Aaron Rodgers' comeback attempt falls a little bit short for the Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins, he went 24 35, 341 passing yards, three touchdowns. Justin Jefferson is having a great sophomore season. He had eight receptions, 169 receiving yards, two touchdowns for the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers, outstanding. He went 23 of 33, threw for 385 passing yards, four touchdowns. Devontae Adams showed why he is still the undisputed best receiver in the NFL. He has seven receptions, 115 receiving yards, two touchdowns. So as I watch this game, I know everyone wants to talk about Kirk Cousins. He had three touchdowns and he distributed the football between Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen very, very well. And I thought he ran the Vikings offense at a high level. And I want to give him credit because in this game, He had a quarterback rating of 128.4. He went 24 of 35, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, which obviously he completed 69% of his passes in this game. So I like the way Kirk Cousins played in this game. And I want to give Kirk Cousins credit for how he's played this entire season. I believe Kirk Cousins is a dark horse for NFL MVP. And I've been on record talking about how Kirk Cousins Doesn't play well in big time games. He always comes up short when his team needs him the most. But I have to give him credit for his performance so far this season. He has the best touchdown interception ratio in Minnesota Vikings history right now, with 21 touchdowns to two interceptions. He has 2,775 total passing yards. Kirk Cousins is playing some great football right now for the Minnesota Vikings. And I want to give him credit for how he's played so far this season, and he is a part of the reason why the Minnesota Vikings are a sleeper in the NFC, sitting at five and five on the season, and you know, coming into this game, and also even in this game, the Vikings are the only team in the NFL that led every game that they played by seven points or more. Now, I know they have a five and five record, but every game they played in this year, they've led by seven points at one point in that particular game. That's because Kirk Cousins has been playing some great MVP level football. But watching this game in the fourth quarter, as great as Kirk Cousins has played this year, Kirk Cousins always creates opportunities for the opposing team to take advantage of. And in this game, the biggest takeaway for me was my Packers defense did not take advantage of the opportunities that Kirk Cousins threw. Our way. Darnell Savage, he's a great safety for the Green Bay Packers. He had two opportunities in this game for two interceptions. And in both of those particular plays, he did not get it done. And on the last drive, Darnell Savage caught an interception. He dropped it, and I thought it was going to be an interception. The Packers would have been at the Minnesota 40 in position to kick the game winning field goal and improve to 9-2 and on the season. And Savage dropped the interception. And they had thought he had caught the interception, even the announcers, because they said it's an interception. The ruling on the field was an interception. But officials went to the booth, and it was overturned. So I thought, watching this game, especially in the fourth quarter, there were opportunities where the Packers' defense had chances To have takeaways and turn this game completely around. And I thought Kirk Cousins gave us opportunities in the fourth quarter specifically, and we just didn't take advantage of those opportunities. And that was the biggest difference in the game for me. I'm not gonna take away from Kirk Cousins' performance in this game and his overall performance throughout the regular season so far. Again, I think he's a dark horse for NFL MVP. But in this particular game, especially in the fourth quarter, I thought the Packers' defense didn't take advantage of the opportunities that Kirk Cousins threw their way. Now, in Kirk Cousins' defense, he has two of the best receivers in the NFL and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. I believe Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are the best duo of receivers we have in the NFL. I think they're at the top of that list. I think it's hard— to slow down this Vikings offense, considering they got Dalvin Cook in the backfield, an elite running back in the NFL, and you got two wideouts who you can throw the ball to, who can make plays on the perimeter in this Vikings offense in Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. In this game, they both played great for the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. Jefferson, he had eight receptions, 169 receiving yards, two touchdowns, Thielen, eight receptions. 82 receiving yards, one touchdown. So I thought they were key components to the Vikings winning this game as well as Kirk Cousins. And I thought the Packers defense honestly did a great job up front at containing Dalvin Cook because as great as Jefferson and Thielen are, this Vikings offense runs through Dalvin Cook. And he is the reason why they have success the way that they do. In this game, the Packers defense, they held Dalvin Cook to – 22 carries, 86 rushing yards. He averaged close to four yards per carry, though, with one touchdown. I thought that was pretty good. But, again, I just thought overall on that side of the ball, the difference was the Packers' defense didn't take advantage of the opportunities that Kirk Cousins threw their way. I believe in the first half, Savage caught another interception, but it was called back by a roughing the passer penalty. So – Again, if you look at the statistical numbers by Kirk Cousins, you will say, oh, Kirk Cousins played sensational. Three touchdowns, 341 yards, passing on the afternoon. He played great. But honestly, if you watch the game like I did from start to finish, you would see that the Packers' defense didn't take advantage of the opportunities that they had, and that was the difference in the game. Now, on the other side of the ball, Aaron Rodgers was absolutely sensational, and I thought he put on an MVP – Caliber performance in this game 23 of 33 through for 385 passing yards, four touchdowns. I thought Aaron Rodgers was sensational yesterday afternoon in Minnesota. Did you see that throw that he threw across his body to DeGara? The touchdown pass, it was a dart he threw to DeGara. And then on the two other touchdown passes that he threw, well, he had three for the game because he threw a late touchdown pass to Valdez Scantling. That was a great throw as well. But the touchdown pass that he threw to Devontae Adams, when he had pressure off the edge from Everson Griffin and Devontae was able to fake out his man and Aaron Rodgers was able to find him in the end zone on the left side of the field, it was a great performance from Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers showed why he is still the best quarterback in the NFL right now. And he deserves to be in that MVP conversation and so far on the season you know Aaron Rodgers he has 21 touchdowns four interceptions 2,571 passing yards he's completing 67 percent of his passes I thought Aaron Rodgers was the catalyst for this Packers offense you know we don't have Aaron Jones right now so the Packers offense had to rely on Aaron Rodgers through the air and I thought Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers delivered at a very, very high level. He had a 148.4 passer rating on the afternoon. He was great. And so the Packers' offense, it was 7 11 on third downs, 467 total yards of offense. So that was very, very impressive. Here's where the game changed for me. It was the deciding factor in the game. Coming into the game, the Packers, they were the most least penalized team in the NFL. And the Vikings were the most penalized team in the NFL. In this game, it was the complete opposite. The Packers had eight penalties for 92 yards. The Vikings had three penalties for 25 yards. So in this particular game, I thought the Vikings were prepared more so than the Packers. And I just got the feeling that Mike Zimmer had his players more prepared than Matt LaFleur did in this game. Now, I believe Matt LaFleur is a great coach. Don't get it twisted. Don't go off off the rails. I'm not saying Matt LaFleur can't coach. I think Matt LaFleur is one of the best young coaches in the NFL, just like Sean McVay, you know, just like Cliff Kingsbury with Arizona, because Cliff Kingsbury is doing a hell of a job right now. I believe Matt LaFleur is one of the best young coaches in the NFL. He's been a back-to-back NFC Championship games, as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers the last few years. But I thought in this particular game, Mike Zimber, to his credit, had his team more prepared than Matt LaFleur did. So, again, those are my takeaways from the game. I think Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, they are two great playmakers for the Minnesota Vikings in their offense. And I thought they led the way for Minnesota in this game. And Kirk Cousins did a great job at finding them in this game. And got them the ball when they were open. And again, I, I thought the fact that the Packers had so many penalties at critical moments in this game is what ultimately derailed them and why they fell on the season to eight and three. But I still think the Packers are a good football team. I still believe in this Packers team overall, and I believe that the Packers are in a position to go on a run once they come back from the bye and they have an opportunity to get some guys back from injury because they got so many injuries right now. Aaron Rodgers is playing with a toe injury. He said last night in his post-game press conference, the toe injury is worse than turf toe. So he's dealing with a painful toe injury right now that he said re-aggravated in the first half of yesterday's game. Also, Aaron Jones, he has an MCL injury. Alan Lazard, he's playing through an injury right now. Malik Taylor, Robert Tunyon, David Batiari, Elm Jenkins, who tore his ACL yesterday in the game. He's done for the season. Josh Myers, Z'Darrius Smith, Whitney Marcellus, Rashawn Gary, Chauncey Rivers, Randy Ramsey, Jair Alexander. The Packers are dealing with so many injuries right now. And honestly, as a Packers fan, I think it's amazing that they are sitting right now at 8-3 and three on the season and at the top of the standings right now in the NFC North. It is a testament to how great of a job Matt LaFleur is doing coaching this football team. And I got to give some credit to Brian Gutekus, the general manager for the Packers, and Mark Murphy. The organization has players who are playing at a very, very high level who are backups. You saw Degara step up yesterday in the game against the Vikings. He caught his first touchdown pass of his career. For the afternoon, he had only two receptions, 37 receiving yards, one touchdown. But I expect Degar's role to increase as we get later into the season because you know Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur wants to use their tight end in this offense. I know Devontae Adams is a huge part of what the Packers do offensively, but they want to have another weapon in their tight end like Degara, to rely on for Aaron Rodgers to throw the ball to as we get later in the season and into the postseason. So I expect his role to increase as the season goes along. A.J. Dillon yesterday, 11 carries, 53 rushing yards. He didn't have a great day on the ground like he did last week against the Seattle Seahawks. But I still expect A.J. Dillon to contribute to this Packers offense moving forward, especially considering Aaron Jones is out right now with the MCL injury. But I just think it's amazing that the Packers are sitting at 8-3 and three on the year, and if they can get some of these key players back, as we get later into the season, I believe this Packers team is positioned to go on a deep playoff run. I really, really do, especially if you can get Jair Alexander back and Zadarius Smith. We haven't seen Zadarius Smith all season long. He hasn't played. Well, he did. I think he did play. He played in week one against the Saints, and we haven't seen him since. So they said, David Bazziari, that there's a possibility he will return back to the lineup in December at some point. But with Elm Jenkins going down with the torn ACL, it's going to be extremely important for David Battiari to return back to the lineup for the Green Bay Packers. And it's going to just be important overall for them to get some of these key players back down the stretch. If they can get some of these key players back, I think they can go on a playoff run. Now, last thing I want to say about Minnesota, I do believe the Minnesota Vikings are a sleeper in the NFC. I believe this defense has gotten better. As the years went along, I believe a team led by Mike Zimmer is going to play good defense. Not necessarily great, but I think they're going to play good defense. And I think this Minnesota Vikings team has an opportunity to make the playoffs, even at 5-5 and on the season. Let's look at their schedule down the stretch. So this week, they got to go to San Francisco, take on the 49ers. 49ers have been coming along, playing some great football. They beat the Jacksonville Jaguars yesterday in Jacksonville. Kyle Shanahan has them getting their mojo back. That's going to be a tough matchup for the Vikings. Week 13, they're at Detroit. That's a win. Week 14, home against the Steelers. That could be a tough matchup for the Vikings, but it's a it's a game that could possibly win. Week 15, they're at Chicago. I would favor the Vikings to beat the Bears right now. There are reports that it's a possibility that Matt Nagy may be fired. If the Bears lose Thursday against Detroit, we'll see what happens there. And then week 16, Minnesota is home against the Rams. And then week 17, they're at Green Bay. So these these next six games for the Minnesota Vikings are crucial for their playoff hopes. If they can go 4-2, and I think they'll have an opportunity to make the playoffs. I think if they can go like, like I said 4 and 2, they'll have an opportunity. If they finish I will say maybe 10 and 7, I think they'll have they'll be a playoff team. I do. In the NFC, they'll be a playoff team with a 10 and 7 record. So that means down the stretch they will have to go 5 and 2. 5 and 2. They will have to go down the stretch. So, I think that's possible. Week 18 they got their, their home against the Bears again. So they got they still got the Bears twice in their schedule. They're at Lambeau Week 17. If they go 5-2 and two, during that seven-game span, I expect the Minnesota Vikings to be in the playoffs and playing on wild-card weekend. They'll finish 10-7 on the season. We'll see if they can get it done. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys No sports. Let's transition and let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Las Vegas Raiders. The Bengals beat the Raiders thirty-two to thirteen. For the Bengals, Joe Burrow he went twenty of twenty-nine, threw for one hundred and forty-eight passing yards, one touchdown. Joe Mixon had the best game of the season for himself: thirty carries, one hundred twenty-three rushing yards, two touchdowns. For the Raiders, Derek Carr he finished nineteen of twenty-seven, two hundred and fifteen passing yards. One touchdown, one interception. So my biggest takeaway in this game was how the Bengals' offensive line were able to dominate the Raiders' defensive line. I thought that was the biggest difference in the game. And that's why you saw Mixon have 30 carries for 123 rushing yards. He averaged over four yards per carry two touchdowns, this was the best game of the season for Joe Mixon. And I've been saying for the last few weeks about how Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow need to involve Joe Mixon more in the offense. We are getting close to that point of the season where it's getting cold outside, and you're not going to be able to throw the ball all over the yard with Joe Burrow. I know the Bengals have so many weapons to distribute the football to You got T. Higgins, you got Tyler Boyd, you got Jameer Chase, you got Uzama. But in order for the Bengals to be true contenders in the AFC, they have to rely on Joe Mixon. And I think Joe Mixon is one of the most underrated running backs in the NFL. And I think he showed that Sunday afternoon in Las Vegas because the Raiders defense, they had no answers for Joe Mixon and the Bengals rushing attack. And I thought that was a difference in the game. I really, really feel that way. Like, I thought that the Bengals were able to win at the line of scrimmage. And I want to give the Bengals O-line credit. Center Trey Hopkins, you know, left guard Quentin Spain, left tackle Jonah Williams, right guard Hakeem Ida and then right tackle Riley Reif. I want to give them all credit for this Bengals win because they opened up running lanes for Joe Mixon to run through. And that's exactly what happened. And that was the biggest difference in the game for me. I didn't. I don't think that Joe Burrow played great. Like, I thought they actually struggled protecting Joe Burrow in this game. They, they gave up three sacks. So they didn't protect Joe Burrow in the passing game. But they did open up running lanes for Joe Mixon in the running game. And that was the biggest difference in the game. And I think that's going to be an important factor for the Bengals as we get later in the season. Establish a running game with Joe Mixon. You don't have to rely on Joe Burrow to drop back the pass 40 or 45 times a game. You have a very, very underrated running back in Joe Mixon who you can hand the football off to and he can get you yards on the ground. And that can help you set up the pass for Joe Burrow to be able to throw the ball to T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Jameer Chase. Also, in this game, I thought the Bengals' defensive line. Dominated the Raiders' O-line. Hubbard, he had a great game, three tackles, you know, in this in this game. I thought Hendrickson, he created some, you know, some some havoc up front as well. And I thought Von Bell in the in the secondary for the Bengals, he did a great job against the Raiders' receivers. You know, like I want to give that Bengals defense some credit because I thought they contained Derek Carr, and I think Derek Carr is one of the best young quarterbacks we have in the NFL. But offensively. The Raiders were not clicking on our cylinders like they normally are. And I got to give some credit to that Bengals defense. The Bengals defense, they held the Raiders' passing attack to only 206 passing yards. And I thought that was impressive. But what's even more impressive was how they contained Jacobs in the running game nine carries for 37 rushing yards. Kenyon Drake, he came in five carries, 23 rushing yards. So I thought the Bengals, up front, did a great job at stopping the run. And I thought they contained the Raiders' offense overall yesterday. And I thought that was the biggest difference in the game on the defensive side of the ball for the Bengals. So offensively, they ran the football at a very, very high level with Joe Mixon. And defensively, they stopped Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake from having great games. And I thought that's what frustrated Derek Carr in this game and overall frustrated the Raiders' offense. And that's why you saw the Raiders' offense only have 278 total yards on the afternoon. Also in this game, the Bengals dominated time of possession. And that's what you want to do if you want to win football games in November, December, and January. You want to be able to dominate time of possession. Look at how the Colts dominated the Bills yesterday in Buffalo. Like, you have to be able to dominate time of possession. Big was one time of possession yesterday, 37 to 22. So they had the ball most of the game, and they were able to get first downs, 23 first downs on the afternoon, keep the chains moving, and keep Derek Carr on the sideline and have the Raiders out of rhythm when they do get back on the field. When you're sitting on the sideline and you're not in the game, you get out of rhythm and you're not able to put together long drives because you've been sitting on the sideline for multiple minutes at a time. And I thought that was the difference in the game. Bengals being able to dominate time of possession, and I just thought it was a great performance overall from Zach Taylor as a play caller and the Bengals' offense as an entirety because they were able to dominate the line of scrimmage. So I want to give them a lot of credit from that standpoint. As well. And uh, like I said, them improving the six and four of the season. It was a big time win. Big time win. They had just lost two straight going into the bye last week. They lost to the Jets when they gave up 34 points, lost to Baker Mayfield and the Browns, where they gave up 41 points. So I felt like the Bengals defense needed this type of performance as well. And the team needed a win in order to position themselves to have an opportunity. To make the playoffs, you can't fall to five and five and expect to be a playoff team. Now, after losing three straight games, what's going on with the Raiders? I'm gonna talk about the Raiders for a second. I think right now, the biggest issue for the Raiders is defensively, they're playing terrible. Their last four games, they've given up 20 points or more. In week nine, they gave up 23 points to the Giants. In week 10, they gave up 41 points to the chiefs yesterday they gave up 32 points against the Bengals, and then in week seven they gave up 22 points against Jalen hurts and the eagles so defensively right now the raiders they aren't playing good football and i think that's something that they need to improve on if they want to be a playoff contender in the afc defensive coordinator gus bradley for the las vegas raiders he has to get his defense to start playing much better football if the Raiders want to be true contenders in the AFC. I remember earlier in the season, the Raiders were playing some good football defensively. You remember they see during the beginning of the season, they started off 3-0 to start the season. And I thought defensively, although teams were still able to score on the Raiders' defense, they were able to create turnovers at key moments in games. And I thought that was a difference for their team early part of the season. So, you know, overall, I think the Raiders' defense has to improve. You got on their defense, you know, Denzel Perriman, he had nine tackles yesterday. Abram, six tackles yesterday. Carl Nassif, I think he's having a very, very good season. He had four tackles yesterday. So. They have the personnel to be able to get key stops. This team strength is their offense, but they have the defensive personnel to get key stops at key moments. Do I expect the Raiders to be a top five team defensively? No, but I I do expect Gus Bradley and his team on the defensive side of the ball to get key stops at key moments and be able to create turnovers. When you don't have a great team defensively, The best chance that you have at being able to win games is winning the turnover battle. And they're not even doing that right now. They're not even doing that. Now, I know yesterday the Bengals did have three fumbles, but overall the Raiders' defense has to improve. They got to get better and play some better defense in order for the Raiders to be true contenders in the AFC. I think Derek Carr is is a quarterback you can win with. I think they have what it takes offensively to be a team that can put up points. I like Josh Jacobs in the backfield. I like their receiving core. You know, they've got Deshaun Jackson as a deep vertical threat for them. I like their tight end and Darren Waller, who arguably is the best tight end in the NFL, right alongside Travis Kelsey. But Darren Waller is a big time weapon in the Raiders offense. Also, Hunter Renfro, I like him as a solid receiver who Derek Carr can rely on in the offense. So I think they got some weapons offensively who they can throw the ball to. I just think defensively, they they must improve. Now let's talk about their playoff chances real quick. The Raiders, this week, week 12, they got a Thanksgiving Day matchup against Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys, 4.30 p.m. going to be an interesting game for the Raiders. That's a game that they could win, but they could also lose. If they steal this game on the road in Dallas, improve to six and five on the season it'll be probably their biggest win of the season thus far but then week 13 they're home against the washington football team i would favor the raiders in that game week 14 they're at kansas city the way kansas city is playing right now i would say the chiefs would be favorites in that game over the raiders week 15 they're at cleveland that's a game that the raiders could win in cleveland We don't know how the Browns are going to be playing at that particular time of the season. I know the Browns beat the Detroit Lions yesterday, but it is the Lions, and they only won 13 to 10. They should have dominated the Detroit Lions, but they only won by three points. Week 16, they're home against the Denver Broncos. That's a game the Raiders should be favored in and should win. Week 17, they're at Indianapolis. The way the Colts are playing right now, that's a game the Raiders could possibly lose. And then week 18, they're home against the LA Chargers to finish up the season. So, you know, they got seven games left. And if they can go down the stretch, I'll say they can go five and two, then I think they'll have an opportunity to be a playoff team in the AFC. If they can finish five and two down the stretch, that will put them at 10 and seven to finish the season. I think they'll have an opportunity to be a playoff team. In the AFC. Only problem is for the Raiders, they're going to be a wild card team. I don't think they're going to win the AFC West. The way the Chiefs are playing right now, I think the Chiefs are the favorites right now in the AFC West. And I picked the Chiefs coming into the season to win the AFC West. So I think if the Raiders are going to get into the playoffs, it's going to have to be by wild card. That's their only path to the playoffs. And right now, you look at the AFC East, Buffalo, they've been struggling, New England. Is in first place right now in the AFC East, but even if New England doesn't win the AFC East and Buffalo ends up winning the AFC East, I think the Patriots are more of a playoff team right now than the Las Vegas Raiders. And then in the AFC North, Bengals just beat the Raiders, so they have the tiebreaker over the Raiders. The Ravens they are leading the AFC North, so it's going to be tough for them to get in that way. Now you do got you do got three wild card teams. So the Raiders may have an opportunity, Uh, and then you look at the AFC South. Even though the Titans lost yesterday, Titans probably going to get in. Colts are probably going to get in. No other team from the AFC South is going to get in. Houston, they're terrible. You know they did win yesterday. The Jaguars, they're one of the worst teams in the NFL. And then, so I think the Raiders have an opportunity to be one of those last playoff teams in the AFC. They'll be like the seventh team. In the AFC playoffs, once this playoffs roll around. Everybody remember going follow wise guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys. No sports. Let's transition and let's talk some NBA. As the NBA has handed out their suspensions for the altercation that took place in Detroit last night between LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart. So LeBron James, he was suspended for one game. Isaiah Stewart was suspended for two games. And looking at this situation, let me be very, very clear. I think the NBA got this right. I think LeBron James deserved to be suspended because LeBron James instigated this entire altercation. I believe that LeBron James intentionally swung open his fist and smacked Stewart in the face I don't believe LeBron James intended for the result to be what it was and for him to draw blood from slapping Stewart across the face I don't think LeBron James intended for the outcome to be what it was but nevertheless you did what you did LeBron and I believe you have to be suspended and held accountable for your actions in this situation like, I hear, a, I hear Anthony Davis in the post-game press conference, he was talking about how LeBron James is not a dirty player. I agree with you, A.B. LeBron James is not a dirty player, and he's never been viewed as a dirty player in his career. At any point, LeBron James was never viewed as a dirty player. But just because you aren't viewed as a dirty player does not mean you have not had an incident where you were dirty in. And this is a situation where LeBron James clearly had a dirty action in this particular game yesterday in Detroit. This doesn't take away from the great career that LeBron James has had. We know LeBron James on the court is one of the greatest players in NBA history, arguably the greatest player of all time. And off the court, he has never gotten in any trouble off the court whatsoever. None. You've never heard of LeBron James getting into any off-the-court situations or finding himself in hot water at all. He has been the true definition of a great player on the court and a great player off the court when it comes to leadership. And, like, he is what the NBA wants in their star player and how to lead by example. It's LeBron James. like. He's never gotten to any trouble off the court at all. His resume is impeccable. He's never done anything as far as getting into legal issues or legal trouble at all. But yesterday, he had a dirty play in this game by swinging his arm back. And again, I don't believe his his intent was to hurt Stewart, but nevertheless, you drew blood. And the outcome is what it is. Now, let me get to Isaiah Stewart. First and foremost, I don't believe Isaiah Stewart wanted to actually fight LeBron James. Before all the players gathered and started pushing each other and shoving each other, Stewart had an opportunity to punch LeBron James in retaliation. He had an opportunity to push LeBron James in retaliation. He didn't do neither. All he did was getting LeBron James' face, and he didn't seem like he actually wanted to fight. But once players and coaches pulled him away, Stewart was out of control. And I think that's why you saw the NBA come down on Stewart the way that they did. He ran over players, he ran over coaches, and he was completely out of control. and In a situation like that, when you're trying to get everything under control and trying to keep the peace, Stewart did everything but try to keep the peace in that moment, even after he was supposed to be out of the game and go back to the locker room, he still was aggressively trying to pursue LeBron James, and that's something that the NBA does not want It's one thing to be upset about LeBron James hitting you in the face and smacking you in the face. I get it. Isaiah, I understand why you were upset, but after that, once you were separated away from LeBron James at that moment, you have to have some self-control and go back to the locker room and deal with your anger in your own setting in the locker room. You can't be charging After LeBron James running over players and coaches on the culture staff, you see Dwayne Casey trying to hold back Stewart. He was completely out of control. And I think his actions warranted him to be suspended at least two games. That's why you saw the NBA come down on him the way they did. You can't have that kind of situation because when he's acting the way that he is, That's how you have situations escalate like it did in the malice in the palace. You have to refrain yourself and take some control of yourself in that moment and not continue to charge at LeBron James. Like, I thought that Stewart, he was upset because he got smacked in the face. And I understand why he would be upset. If I was him, I would have been upset in that moment as well. but. Whatever retaliation he was going to do, he should have done it immediately once LeBron smacked him in the face. He shouldn't have waited until he was separated from LeBron and they had pretty much de-escalated the situation and everything was under control. They, like he, he should have already been upset before. Like don't try to get mad. Like it's like he, it's like once everybody came up to him and got in between him and LeBron. Did he want to act like, oh, let me out and let me out let me out it let me get at it. No, you should have had that energy when you were face-to-face with LeBron. Isaiah, you had an opportunity to do whatever you wanted to do to LeBron. As soon as he smacked you, you could have went right up to him and did whatever you wanted to do. But you wanted to, you know, act like you wanted to fight once everyone got in the middle of you two. No, I hate that. I hate not just in the NBA. I hate in general in, in, in life. When individuals know that you are not going to be able to fight in this type of setting. So stop trying to act like you're some tough guy when you're not going to be able to fight in this type of setting. You know that. And I saw also, I want to say this I saw people talking about LeBron saying that LeBron was scared and LeBron ain't want no parts of Isaiah Stewart. I respectfully disagree. Well, LeBron James is 6'9, 260. Okay, we ain't talking about someone that's my size at 5'6". six. We're talking about LeBron James. The man is 6'9", 260 for crying out loud. And LeBron James knows in this type of situation, it's not going to be a legitimate fight. That's why you saw LeBron so calm in the immediate aftermath. There are reports that LeBron did say to Stewart, hey, my bad, ASAP. He said it. ASAP. So he knew he was wrong about the elbow that he threw, but he knew when Stewart was acting belligerent and charging towards him, he knew they weren't going to fight in that setting at an NBA game. That's why you saw LeBron so calm. But I will say this about the overall altercation in the situation, and I made a Facebook post about this earlier. I think a situation like this could help bring together this Lakers team who has underachieved so far this season. They're 99 on the season. So they are underachieved so far this season. You got elite stars like Russell Westbrook, like Anthony Davis, like LeBron James. You got Hall of Famers on this team, like Carmelo Anthony, like Dwight Howard, like John Rondo. You got so many Hall of Famers on this team. So I believe that the Lakers have underachieved. And I believe the fact that they came together and show that they were defending LeBron James, even though he was completely wrong in this situation, I think this is something that could help the Lakers moving forward. And it's something that could be something they could look back on and say, that's when we had our season turn around and our season changed for the better. It could have been a blessing in disguise for the Lakers team overall. Like, okay, we had the situation in Detroit, where LeBron James was clearly wrong, but they defended their brother at all costs. And you saw Anthony Davis talk about that in the post-game press conference. He said, we weren't going to allow him to continue to charge at our brother. One through 15, we weren't having. it. And then I saw today, there was a video of Carmelo Anthony on the sideline when Corey Joseph walked over to the Lakers' sideline, and Melo asked him, like, what are you doing over here? Like, Like, what you want? Like, what's up? Like so, I thought the fact that Carmelo, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, DeAndre Jordan—I thought the fact that they had LeBron James back in a situation like this, as small as it is—and being able to also come back and win the game, outscoring the Detroit Pistons 37 to 17 in the fourth quarter—I think this is something that we can look back on and say was a turning point in the Lakers' season. I know it's small. I know it's against the Detroit Pistons, but when you have been struggling the way the Lakers have been struggling this year, you look for small victories. And this is a small victory, being able to overcome a 17-point deficit to the Detroit Pistons and win a game, 121-116, to the way that they did. Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis was sensational in the fourth quarter. They were sensational, and they played great. So those are my overall takeaways from the situation that took place in Detroit. Again, I thought LeBron James deserved to be suspended for a game, but I thought Isaiah Stewart deserved to be suspended for two or three games as well. The NBA ended up giving him two games. I thought that was the right punishment because again, I thought Isaiah Stewart, he was justifiably upset. And I understand why he was upset, but I thought after he was separated from LeBron, The way that he continued to act and be out of control, I think that's why you saw the NBA give him a two-game suspension and not a one-game suspension like LeBron. That's not the optics just look bad. It looked bad, like, and again, I, I I think the fact that he the way he was like his face was bloody, it just make it look worse than what it really was. But LeBron James did intentionally. Throw that elbow. I don't want to hear nothing about LeBron did it on accident. No, LeBron James intentionally threw that elbow. But I don't believe LeBron James wanted the outcome to be what it was. And that was Stewart's face having blood all over it. I don't think that's what LeBron James wanted. I just think he wanted to kind of send a message and, you know, like, get off of me. You know, when you're playing, playing basketball, you want someone to get, when you tangled up, you want somebody to get off of you. Like, get off of me. So that's my overall takeaway from the situation in Detroit involving LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart. Let's transition and let's talk about my breakout performer for NFL Week 11. Let's go to the Colts-Bills game. My breakout performer was Jonathan Taylor for the Indianapolis Colts. Yesterday, he was dominant in the Colts' win over the Buffalo Bills. The Colts got the win 41-15. to but it wouldn't have happened without Jonathan Taylor being on their team. He had 32 carries, 185 rushing yards, four touchdowns on the ground. He had three receptions, 19 receiver yards, one touchdown. On the season, Jonathan Taylor has been playing outstanding. He got 193 carries, 1,122 rushing yards, 13 touchdowns. The man is averaging over 5.8 yards per carry. He is playing some great football right now for the Indianapolis Colts. Ladies and gentlemen, yesterday, Carson Wentz only had 106 passing yards. He had 106 passing yards, and the Colts dominated the Buffalo Bills. It wouldn't have happened without Jonathan Taylor. He is my breakout performer for NFL Week 11. You can't have a breakout performer without having a disappointing performer as well, though, and that goes to Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill in the game yesterday against the Houston Texans, a game the Titans lost twenty-two to thirteen. Ryan Tannehill, he goes thirty-five of fifty-two, three hundred twenty-three passing yards, one touchdown, four interceptions. This is going up against one of the worst teams in the NFL in the Houston Texans. Tannehill, four interceptions against this Texas defense, one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Are you serious? Coming into the game, the Houston Texans had one win on the season, one win. And Ryan Tannehill played terrible yesterday afternoon in Tennessee. Here I am bragging about the Tennessee Titans and how they've been playing lately. And Ryan Tannehill goes out there and lays an egg. Are you serious? The Titans coming into the game, they had won six straight games. And during that span, they beat the Kansas City Chiefs, blew them out 27-3. to They beat the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football in Week 6, 34-31. Titans were rolling, playing at a very, very high level. They also beat the Rams in that six-game winning streak on Sunday Night Football. They were playing some great football. And Ryan Tannehill goes out there and throws four interceptions against this Texas defense. He is my disappointing performer for NFL Week 11. Get it together, Ryan. Get it together. So that was those are my breakout performer and disappointing performer for NFL Week 11. Jonathan Taylor was my breakout performer, and Ryan Tannehill was my disappointing performer for Week 11. Let's transition. Let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys and Kansas City Chiefs game. The Chiefs, they beat the Cowboys 19 to 9. For the Dallas Cowboys, they had season lows with 276 total yards of offense and only nine points. For the Cowboys, Prescott struggled. He went 28 of 43 through for 218 passing yards, two interceptions. For the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, he had a decent game. He went 23 of 37 through for 260 passing yards, one interception. So before I Dive into what went wrong for the Cowboys in this game. I do want to talk about the injuries that the Cowboys dealt with. Last week, Amari Cooper, he tested positive for COVID-19. He didn't play, and he's going to be out Thursday when the Cowboys play the Raiders in Dallas on Thanksgiving. So he didn't play in this game. C.D. Lamb, he didn't play in the second half. He got a concussion in the first half. He did not return to the game in the second half, so those are key players on the Cowboys' offense. So I want to say, although I don't think the Cowboys played very well, I want—I have to admit—the Cowboys had some injuries that they were dealing with in this game. Injuries to C.D. Lamb, Mari Cooper was out because of COVID. If I'm going to say the Packers are currently dealing with injuries. I have to be honest about the Cowboys and the injuries that they are currently dealing with as well. So, those are two key components to the Cowboys offense CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. But in this game, I have to give credit to Steve Spagnola and the Kansas City Chiefs defense. You remember earlier in the season, I came on Wise Guys and I completely criticized the Chiefs defense. I said, they got one of the worst defenses in the NFL I said the Chiefs defense was arguably worse than the Seahawks defense earlier this season because you remember there was a stretch where the Chiefs defense they gave up 30 points multiple times this season they gave up 29 points to the Browns week one you might as well say it's 30 they gave up 36 points in week two to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. They gave up 30 points to Herbert and the Chargers in week three. They gave up 30 points to Jalen Hurts and the Eagles in week four. They gave up 38 to the Bills in week five. So the Chiefs' defense had been struggling in the early part of the season. I was very, very critical of the Chiefs' defense, and I said they were one of the worst defenses not only in the NFL, but in NFL history. I have to give the Chiefs defense some credit because they have been playing some great football in the month of November. In week eight, against the Giants, they held Daniel Jones and the Giants' offense to 17 points. In week nine, even though it was was without Aaron Rodgers, they held the Packers' offense to seven points. Against the Raiders, last week, in week 10, they held Derek Carr and the Raiders to only 14 points. And then in week 11, although the Cowboys did not have C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper, they held the Cowboys to season lows and total points with nine and 276 total yards of offense overall. I got to show some love to this Chiefs defense. And I thought the player of the game for the Chiefs defense was Chris Jones they moved him back to defensive tackle and I believe that was the key in yesterday's performance for this Chiefs defense yesterday Chris Jones he was the player of the game he had four tackles 3.5 total sacks on the afternoon he completely dominated the line of scrimmage and he lived up to that 80 $5 $5 million contract that he signed with the Kansas City Chiefs last year and showed why only like the only player that you can say definitively is better than Chris Jones at D tackle is Aaron Donald because Chris Jones played like a man amongst boys yesterday and I thought he was a difference in the game for the Kansas City Chiefs. So I got to give the Chiefs defense a lot of credit because in this game, I don't think Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense played elite football I mean Patrick Mahomes had 370 total yards of offense they went twelve on third down so they weren't really impressive honestly and then the Cowboys defense had three sacks so they didn't really protect Patrick Mahomes in this game either like you look at the score you say 19-9 to like and if you watch the game you would have thought the Chiefs were winning by more than they were, but the Cowboys actually had an opportunity to get back into this game even late in the fourth quarter. So I wasn't really impressed with the Chiefs offense. That's why I was confused when I saw Travis Kelsey and other members of the Chiefs offense celebrating with Eric B. Lindley. I don't know why they were celebrating because they only had scored 19 points. They only scored 19 points. I think Steve Spagnola, Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, Chris Jones, okay? I think those are players who should have been celebrating with their coordinator. Char- De- Charverius Ward, you know, they have a reason to be celebrating, not this Chiefs offense. Y'all only scored 19 points. They didn't do very much in this game. So I got to give a lot of credit to Steve Spagnuolo and the Chiefs defense offensively. Chiefs weren't that impressive to me they were not very impressive but they are starting to come into their own as a team and I look at this Chiefs team they're seven and four on the season right On four straight games heading into the bye, they are the favorites right now in the AFC I know the New England Patriots they are playing some great football led by the best coach in the NFL and Bill Belichick arguably the greatest coach in NFL history but in a playoff matchup, I trust Patrick Mahomes more than I trust Mac Jones. And I know Patrick Mahomes struggled against Belichick in the 2019 AFC Championship game against Tom Brady. But out of all the young quarterbacks in the NFL that Belichick will have to face in the NFL, and especially in the AFC, let's talk about the AFC specifically. In the AFC, you got to face Josh Allen, you're going to have to face Joe Burrow. Baker Mayfield, Justin Herbert, Brian Tannehill. Out of all those quarterbacks, who do you trust? It's Patrick Mahomes. He is who you trust to be able to win against even a great Bill Belichick led defense. Why? Because Patrick Mahomes can offset anything Bill Belichick throws his way. That's how great Patrick Mahomes is. Like anything Belichick throws his way, Patrick Mahomes can offset that without great of a player he is at the quarterback position. He has great ability at being able to throw the ball in the pocket and outside of the pocket. And I want to give Patrick Mahomes some credit because I was critical of Mahomes in the early part of the season. He had all those turnovers and the Chiefs offense wasn't playing at a very, very high level. And I was very, very critical of Patrick Mahomes. And I also said, stop comparing him to Aaron Rodgers. He's not on Aaron Rodgers' level just yet. But Patrick Mahomes has always been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. On the season, he got 25 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He's thrown for 3,200 passing yards on the season. He's completing 66% of his passes. So Patrick Mahomes, even in a down year, he's still playing at a high level. And honestly, as this season goes along, he possibly could find himself in that MVP conversation. Now, I, I, know, I know it's probably far-fetched for everyone to think that Patrick Mahomes should be in the MVP conversation because we got Tom Brady, who's been having a great season. We got Jonathan Taylor, a running back, who is my dark horse, honestly, for NFL MVP. You got Kirk Cousins, who's having a great season. Patrick Mahomes is having a pretty good season as well. Going into the game yesterday, he was second in the NFL in passing touchdowns and passing yards on the season. So Patrick Mahomes is still having a great season overall, and I think right now you have to favor the Kansas City Chiefs moving forward in the AFC. You have to. And they were my Super Bowl pick to come out of the AFC. I had the Chiefs coming out of the AFC and meeting the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl. And I did not waver from my pick, even when the Chiefs were struggling in the early part of the season. Even after the Chiefs got blew off the field by the Titans in week seven, 27 to 27-3, I said the Chiefs should still be the favorites in the AFC. And we're starting to get to that time of the year where the teams who are legit contenders are proving themselves on the field. You see, in the NFL, Patriots, in the AFC East, they're improving. Five-game winning streak. Chiefs, they are improving four-game winning streak, having lost in the month of November. You see the Baltimore Ravens, you know, led by Harbaugh, a veteran head coach who's won a Super Bowl, is a proven head coach in the NFL. The Steelers, even though they did lose yesterday, they have Mike Tomlin, and they have a squad that can make noise as we get late in the season because they know how to win games. So the Steelers ain't going over either. They're going to be right there down the stretch of the season, competing for a playoff spot. And then in the NFC, Packers are still the favorites to win the NFC North, still at the top of the NFC standings. Ten Bay Buccaneers, they playing right now. Bucks are still going to win the AFC South. They are still one of the teams in the NFC who could potentially get to the Super Bowl. And then in the NFC West, the Arizona Cardinals, teams who are proven, And they have that championship pedigree are starting to establish themselves and pull away from the teams who are average. I still think the Cowboys are a team that is a true Super Bowl contender. I just believe yesterday. They weren't able to execute offensively. And I thought Dak Prescott wasn't able to outperform Patrick Mahomes in a game, even without his two best receivers in Amari Cooper. And CeeDee Lamb. We saw Aaron Rodgers against the Arizona Cardinals on a Thursday night game, going up against an elite Cardinals team who came into the game undefeated at that particular time. We saw Aaron Rodgers without Devontae Adams, without Marquez Vallec, without Alan Lazar go into Arizona and beat the undefeated Arizona Cardinals. And he put the Green Bay Packers team on his back. It did not happen yesterday for Dak Prescott. And that's why I believe it's levels to quarterback play. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson when he's playing, Russell Wilson. These are quarterbacks who can put their team on their backs and win games. You don't win because you have them. You win because you have them leading your team. And I think that's the difference. Like they can carry you, throughout games and help you win football games. Dak Prescott, unfortunately, he's good, but he needs the pieces around him in order to be successful. And that's the difference between him and a Rodgers and a Mahomes and a Brady and a Wilson. Prescott needs Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard in the backfield. He needs Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, and Michael Gallup at receiver for him to be successful. And I believe that was the biggest difference yesterday in the game. But again, I want to give a lot of credit to that Chiefs defense and show them some love because they played absolutely sensational. And I think Dak Prescott, he didn't elevate his team in a moment where they desperately needed him to. They needed Prescott to overcome the odds and perform at a high level. And I don't think Prescott did a good job of that yesterday. I don't. I still think Prescott is a good quarterback and you can win a Super Bowl with Prescott, but I just think it's levels to Great quarterback play. And you saw it yesterday. You saw it. Uh, Again, Patrick Mahomes didn't have the best game either. But we've seen Mahomes overcome his team's deficiencies and win games. These Chiefs' defense, especially in years past, they've been awful. And with the exception of the last four games, they've been terrible defensively. And we've seen Mahomes overcome his team's deficiencies. We didn't see that happen yesterday with Prescott. We didn't see it happen. doesn't make him a bad quarterback. It doesn't make the Dallas Cowboys a front runner. They are legit. They are a team that could represent the NFC in the Super Bowl in L.A. But Prescott needs CeeDee Lamb. He needs Amari Cooper. He needs Michael Gallup. He needs an elite rushing attack with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard to be successful. That's the bottom line. Everybody remember going follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow wise guys or Instagram in with These Guys No Sports. I'll be back on Wednesday, 10:30 a.m. Don't forget, joining me will be Lakers Nation, singer, writer, and podcast host of Lakers Nation Podcast and the NBA front office show, Trevor Lane. I'm excited to have Trevor on the show on Wednesday morning, 10:30 a.m. So gonna be talking some basketball with Trevor, talking some Lakers basketball and his expectations for the Lakers the rest of the season. I want him to give me his thoughts on the suspensions that was handed down by the NBA with LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart. So look forward to having Trevor Lang on the show Wednesday morning. Everybody remember go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'm Trey Larkins signing off the Worldwide Sports Network. Wise Guys Sports. Y'all know it. See you Wednesday morning. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.